being sent has has more to it than just being in the right place at the right time for God. But being sent has everything to do with being faithful, being obedient in your faith so that God can place you in the assignment that he has for you. If you're excited about part four of this series sent, then somebody make some noise. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, I'm sent. Somebody look at your other neighbor and say, you have an assignment. Today, I want us to look at a narrative of scripture together. In Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 22, it's a passage of scripture that describes for us, just stay on your feet for another moment. I know you've been on them for a while, but just hang on. That describes for us an event in the Apostle Paul's life that forever changes the course of his life. This series has been a life study, if you will, of the Apostle Paul's life, and I never intended for that to be the case, but God has led us on that path. And today's message is really an action message. It's a, it's a message that should enable you to see some things in your faith that you haven't been able to see. After all, the Bible says faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence not seen. After all, we live according to our faith, according to the promise, not by what we see, but rather by what we believe. You see, if we will believe, if we will ultimately believe, we will eventually see. How many of you know what I'm talking about? So somebody look at your neighbor and announce to them the title of today's message, and that is the stuff you can't see. Look at somebody in the balcony, man. Great crowd in the balcony. Somebody say the stuff you can't see. Everybody always turns around to look at the balcony when I say that. But man, that is a crowd up there. Good Lord. The stuff you can't see. Well, we're going to look at a narrative of Scripture today. That I love how God works. Because six months ago, we were in this passage of Scripture for a completely different contextual reason. And I wanted to stay in that narrative then, but God... It was kind of doing something different. And I kept saying, we're going to come back to it. And today is that day. But before we actually get into the narrative, I I need to take you to the impetus for this series, which is the passage of Scripture that Paul writes in Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. Let me read this to you. Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15 says something that we have been reading each and every week in order to stay in tune with where God is sending us in this series. But here's what he writes in verse 14. Paul is writing this to the Christian in Rome, trying to show them what their responsibility is in their faith. And he writes this in verse 14. He says, how then can they, everybody say they, how then can they call upon the one that they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? 
What you need to understand is that there is a they in your life that is waiting on you to fulfill the assignment that God has for you. He goes on in verse 15 to say this. And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? Everybody say sent. Then he goes on to say this. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Hold on a second. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. In other words, what Paul is saying to us is that if God has worked salvation into your heart, it is your responsibility to take that salvation and work it into someone else's life. There is a reason why Paul uses feet as the symbol for faith. Because he is putting action to our faith. He is telling us that our faith should be in constant motion. That it should be moving forward. That there should be action to our faith. However, in verse 17, he takes it one step further. We have not even read verse 17 in this series. In verse 17, he talks about the auditory qualities of our faith. Here's what he writes. He says, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. Again, somebody look at your neighbor and announce to them the title for today's message, The Stuff You Can't See. Hold on a second. He says, consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. He's talking about the auditory quality. Just be seated. Just go ahead and be seated. Here is Paul. Remember this. Paul is the apostle who travels the known world by foot trying to get the message of the gospel to any and everyone who will listen. preaches the beauty of grace all around the world his faith how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news but what you need to understand about Paul is that is not how Paul's faith started out in fact there was something that happened in Paul's life that he did not see coming the stuff that you cannot see that ultimately was enabling him to connect to verse 17 so that later in life he could write that Our faith comes by hearing, and the hearing comes by the word of the Lord. He's telling us that it is our ability to hear the word of God that enables us to overcome what we see in the natural. Several months ago, I was at a conference for pastors, and I was on a question and answer panel, and there was a question that was asked of me that is really a question that churches all across America today are struggling with. And the question went something like this. How do you train and teach a church culture of consistency and commitment when consistency is consistently inconsistent in our culture and commitment is an arbitrarily abstract thought? It was followed up by how do you train commitment and consistency in the church when really the church culture that we operate by today is based upon what we see? My answer was a little different. And I answered this way. This is the simple part of the answer. We'll get more into the answer in a few minutes. But my answer was we have to be committed to working on what we cannot see. Many were puzzled 
looking at me with a puzzled look because in that forum you would normally say something like we have to focus upon those small tangible victories that we see along the way so that we're energized in our faith and in our ministry to continue the work of Christ that sounds like the answer that everybody wants to hear yeah not we have to stay committed to working on what we can't see but the problem is if you are using your faith the foundation of your faith is based upon the tangible victories that you see what happens during those seasons when those tangible victories are non-existent can I get a hello this is the basis of our faith it's like the farmer who has a seed and he plants the seed in the soil he covers the seed up with the soil and he cannot see for a couple of months what's happening beneath the soil he has no idea what's happening but the farmer does not stop because he realizes that there is something that is happening that he cannot see so he's committed to continue to work even though he cannot see it I don't know who this is for, but you're working on something and you do not see the benefits of what you're working on. You don't see the results in your marriage that you thought that you would see. You don't see the results in that relationship that seems to be fragmented that you thought that you would see. What I need to tell you today is that you may not see the benefits of, of your hard labor, but you must continue to stay committed to the very thing that God has called you to do. Even though you cannot see the blessing at the end, yet you've got to stay committed to it. Why? Because faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence not seen. Our faith should not consult our feelings. Our faith should not consult our emotions. Our faith should not consult what we see. It's our ability to stay committed to the very thing God has called us to, even when we cannot see the blessing. Committed to it, even though we cannot see it. Lord, have mercy. So, let me take you to the narrative. Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. Here's what Luke writes about this experience in the Apostle Paul's life. Now keep in mind, in Romans chapter 10, Paul has written that years later, after Acts chapter 9. This is the transition point in Saul's life, Paul's life, I should say. Watch this. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Let me pause there for a minute. Let me give you some of the historical context as to who Saul of Tarsus was before he became Paul. You see, Saul was a persecutor of the church. He was arch enemy number one of the church he was trying to do everything that he could to extinguish the gospel and anyone who believed in Christ he would have arrested flogged stoned to death thrown in prison in fact if you read the previous chapter you'll see that Saul went door to door all over Jerusalem now the high priest have said I want you to take this crusade 130 miles north to Damascus but something happens along the journey that changes Paul's life because he's been going door to door dragging out would-be Christ followers and even having them stoned in the street or dragging them to prison. And now he wants to take that crusade to Damascus because he's heard that there are Christ followers in Damascus. But on the way, something happens. Look at verses 3 and 4. Verses 3 and 4, it says this. It says, as he neared Damascus on his journey, 
Suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Hold on a second. Here is a transition, a shift in his identity. There is something that is happening now in Saul's life that eventually after this moment he will become Paul. Right now he is Saul, the persecutor of the church. He is Saul, the one who's trying to extinguish the message. But now, after this interaction, he will become the person who is no longer trying to extinguish the message, but the message will be on his lips for all of the known world. But here's what's beautiful about this. In this passage of Scripture, you see where Jesus says to him, Saul, Saul, he calls his name two times. In that culture, that was a term of endearment when you called someone by their name two times. Saul, Saul. One theologian would say to us that the reason why the Lord did that was because he was showing us that he was not looking at who Paul used to be, but what Paul was destined to be. Mm. This message will go a lot better when I have some interaction. Because this is the same dude who would drag people out of their homes and would have them killed for what they believed. This is the same dude who would arrest people and throw them in prison. But later, this same dude would write, my God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. This is the same dude who would have Stephen murdered. This is the same dude who would later on write that his grace is more than enough in my moment of weakness. It's the same dude that says, if God is for me, tell me who can be against me. The point that I am trying to make is that he used to be Saul. He will now become Paul. And it's because his exchange with Jesus Christ. When Jesus Christ floods your atmosphere, he will change how people see you, what people call you. They used to call him Saul. They're about to call him Paul. What I'm trying to say is whatever somebody has labeled you, they're going to have to reevaluate it. Because when the gospel begins to work and flood your heart, you will no longer be the person that you used to be. Does anybody know that God? Lord have mercy. Somebody help me preach today. If I were to look at my notes, it would say right here, they should all be on their feet praising God because he pulled the label off their lives. Mm. Good heavens. Let me, let me stay right here for another moment because I think somebody needs to hear this. Here's what you can gather from this story is this. It doesn't matter what's happened to you in the past because your past will not disqualify you from God's future for you. Let me be a little more specific. Your past will not disqualify you from your future usefulness because think about this. Here is Paul who had the blood of God's saints on his hands but yet God now no longer sees him as the one who is extinguishing the message, but now he uses him as the one who furthers the gospel to all ends of the earth. In other words, the greatest missionary in the history of the church was one time its greatest enemy. 
In other words, God will use those broken places in your life and he'll begin to use those places in his redemption plan. He'll use those broken places in his redeeming plan for your life so that when you find someone else who's in that broken place, the place that God pulled you out of, you'll be able to help pull them out of. Because we're sent. Here's Paul. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. He's he's talking about the grace of God. He's talking about being obedient to our faith. He's talking about faithfulness. Years later, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. That his grace is more than enough for me in my moment of weakness. That his grace is more. And his grace can pull us out of depravity. His grace can pull us out of our weakness. His grace can pull us out of our brokenness. His grace can pull us out of, uh, of, of plunder. His grace is more. His grace is more. It's like John Newton wrote the old hymn, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Just a side note, but there is an undercurrent in the church today to change the lyrics to that song. In fact, in many hymnals, in other denominations, it's already happened. That song in some hymnals does not say amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me, but rather it says amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved and strengthened me. Why? Let me tell you why. Because church people don't want to be known as wretched. That saved a wretch like me. But if we understand the Bible, the Bible says without God we are wretched. And if we don't understand our wretchedness, we will never understand the beauty of grace. Lord have mercy. Let me get off my soapbox. <laughs> I might. You might not like that. Praise the Lord. Um, verse 4 and following. I got a little ring, not on my finger, but in my ear. Um, it says this. It says, he fell to the ground. And heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. He said, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Somebody say the stuff you can't see. So Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened up his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by hand into Damascus, the stuff that you cannot see. I love the ironic qualities that are present in these few verses. Because when Jesus first appears to Saul, Jesus does not reveal himself immediately to Saul that he is Jesus. He just says, Saul, Saul, why do you, who are you? (laughs) Immediately, he does not reveal that he is Jesus Christ. But what's so ironic to me is here is Jesus Christ asking Paul a, a, a question. How many of you know the creator of the universe already knows the answer to everything? But he's asking Paul a question. Here what we have is the answer asking a question. And we know that he's the answer because the Bible says in the beginning that 
was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and everything that was created was created by Him, and everything that was created was not created without Him. Some translations say that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and everything that you see is His, and everything that you see, no one else had a hand in its creation but Him. Meaning that He is the answer. He's the answer to life's questions. He's the answer. He's, he's our hope. He's our help. He's our forgiveness. He's our salvation. He's our encouragement. He's our refuge. He's our restoration. He's our joy. He's our peace that surpasses all understanding. He is our way when there seems to be no way. He causes our leaves not to wither. He causes us to be planted beside streams of living water. He is the answer. When we find ourselves in the desert and we don't know which way to go, he tells us which way to go. The Bible says that he lights our feet like a lamp unto our feet. His word is, they that trust in the Lord and lean not upon their own understanding, but in all of their ways acknowledge him, he will make their path straight. Why? Because he can do exceedingly abundantly above all that you think, ask, or imagine. Imagine, obviously, he's the answer. And here is the answer asking a question. Why? Hmm. Could it be that he's asking the question because before he can give you the answer, he has to clarify the questions of your heart? Could it be before you can receive what you're asking for, God is trying to search or look at what you're searching for? Could it be that the very thing that you are asking God to do, you don't understand what he has for you? And the very thing that you've been hoping for may or may not be the thing that God wants to do in your life because he has something more. He has something better. He has something bigger. But we're so focused on being planted in this field when God gave us an assignment in this field. So many times he has to clarify what our hearts are searching for before he can give us the answer. So here he is, the answer, asking a question. This is the moment that everything shifts in Saul's life. This is the moment that he becomes no longer, or he is no longer, if you will, the executioner, the extinguisher of the message of the gospel. But now he becomes the greatest missionary in the history of the church, taking the message of Christ all around the world. And if you understand the history of who Saul was, this doesn't make sense. But how many of you know the creator of the universe does some things at times that do not make sense? When Jesus has to go across the sea, what does he do? He suspends the laws of buoyancy so that he can walk across the sea. When Jesus is in the boat with the other disciples and the disciples are wigging out because the wind and the waves are taking over them, the word gave a word. The word in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. So he gave a word for peace to be still and all of creation had to obey. And now here is the word giving a word to Paul that you will bless the church. Mm, Lord have mercy. Here's the word. I would have loved to have been there. Seeing this scene unfold. Think about it with me for a minute. Here are these guys. The Bible says that they could hear, but they could not see. The stuff that you can't see. You know when they saw Saul fall to the ground. They were like, what in the world is going on? They're looking around like, what's up? What's he on? Woo, let me borrow some of that stuff. It's all right for Christians to laugh every now and then. I'm just kidding. We can, we can polish the halo. <laughs> she got it. Praise the Lord for that. 
sometimes, have you ever been blessed with a blessing that you did not expect to receive? You know what? It's easy to quantify and qualify those blessings. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It's easy. But I wrote something down. I'm going to share this with you. I wrote something down. Here's, write this. It says, sometimes the greatest blessing is birthed in our willingness to be faithful when we can't see the blessing yet. Grab that. Let it resonate in your spirit. Sometimes the greatest blessing is birthed in our willingness to be faithful when we can't see the blessing yet. When you can't see the results, but you go. When you can't see the results, but you continue to serve. When you can't see the results, but you continue to give. When you can't see the results, but you forgive. When you can't see the results, but you continue to do what God has placed upon your heart. When you can't see the results, the schedule, your schedule says you can't do this, but you do it anyway. I don't know who this is for, but somebody in this place, you're about to give up on something. You're about to throw your hands in the air and walk away from it. You're about to walk away from a marriage. You're about to walk away from something that's happened in a relationship because you don't see the results that you've been looking for and everything that you've been working on doesn't seem to be working but you've got to understand you've got to be focused on what you cannot see because they placed Jesus in the tomb on Friday because they did not see that Sunday was a coming good Lord have mercy the stuff you cannot see so, so, so I wrote this down this was the answer that I said that day, driven by the Holy Spirit, because it's way above my intellect. I, I, I wrote it down. And I said, I want to preach around this. Here's what I said. Oftentimes, the birth of blessing takes place when the benefits of your sacrifice can't be seen or measured. Let me say it again. Oftentimes, the birth of a blessing. Place that in the context of your life. Oftentimes, the birth of a blessing takes place when the benefits of your sacrifice can't even be seen or measured. Let me bring this to the functional level. It's like, you know, you, you ask yourself, okay, I'm writing a tithe check, but why? You know, there's a bunch of other people who call this church home. My, my, my little tithe check may not make a difference at all. What you cannot see is that because of your willingness to be generous, we're able to do ministry. What you cannot see is the dude who somehow is impacted by Epicenter Church, who has a place of brokenness in his life, and because of the message, he moves from brokenness to wholeness, and that's all because of your generosity, stuff that you can't see. Maybe it's like working and serving in the nursery, and you're like, man, I don't want to serve in the nursery. That's the last thing I want to do. I'm tired of this. I don't want to wipe some other kid's booger box. to do that but what you cannot see is that those parents are going through a difficult season in their lives in their marriage and they come into church and they get a seed and that seed of restoration begins to grow in their lives the stuff that you can't see bringing bags of food to bumper crop the stuff that you cannot see is because of that food, we're able to feed hundreds of families that come to this church every Tuesday and Thursday who are in need. The stuff that you can't see.
the camera operator, there's, there's three or four, just, just the one right here, wave at me. Marion, wave at me. All right, grab this. You may be thinking, Marion doesn't think this way, but maybe you're thinking, man, that's just a, you, some of you even ignore that this happens, but that's just a meaningless job. It doesn't mean, that's just such, such a small job. What you cannot see are the hundreds of people who are on the other side of that camera, sitting around a computer, sitting in Afghanistan, sitting in Iraq, sitting in Korea, sitting in Alabama, sitting in Utah. And because of it, their lives are changed. And we get emails where they say, we gave our heart to Christ. We've never been in this church before, but somebody sent me the link and we watched it. The stuff that you cannot see. When Kim and I started pastoring this church, we didn't see a 1,000 people saved the first year. We were just trying to keep 60 people together. But faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence not seen. Let me get back to the narrative. Verse 9, let me show you something. Verse 9 says this, says, For three days he was blind. And did not eat or drink anything. So much symbolism here because there was someone else who stayed in a tomb for three days. You see, there is a resurrection event that is about to happen in Saul's life that he will come out on the other side as Paul. Now watch this. Verse 10 and following says, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. Everybody say Ananias. The Lord called him. In a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands upon him to restore his sight. I love the specificity here because how many of you know that if you're going to go see the man who's been killing all of the Christians, you better have a confirmation that the Lord actually spoke to you. <laughs> he said you go to Straight Street, you go to Judas's house, Paul's going to be praying there, you place your hands upon him and his sight will be restored. There's a lot of specificity there. But it also shows us that Paul had been praying for three days. That very fact shows us that Paul was now ready to receive what he could not see. Ooh, that's deep. But can I tell you something? It's the obedience of Ananias that brought about Saul's transformation. Your obedience will not only bless you, it will bless those that are around you. In fact, obedience is the feature, the binding feature of God's inheritance for your life. Ananias didn't want to do this. In fact, we're getting ready to read. Ananias was like, hold on a second. I, I, Lord, this is Saul. Watch what he says. Verse 13, Lord, Ananias answered. I, I, I've heard, I've heard, I've, I've, I've heard about him. Many reports about this man, all of the harm that he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here to Damascus with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call upon your name. And that's me. Don't want to do it. I can't see the benefit in that. You know, we, we do the same thing. I can't see the benefit in giving in that offering. I can't see the benefit in buying that turkey. I can't see the benefit in serving in that way. I, I can't see the benefit in inviting someone else. There's 1,300 other people who call that church home. Let them invite somebody. 
I don't see the benefit in forgiving that person. So what's it going to do for me? You know, that's how we are. We have all of these logical objections to the illogical steps of faith that God asks of us. Saul's like, I don't want to do this. Or, or Ananias is like, I don't want to do this. That's Saul, man. He might kill me. He might open up his eyes. And... I don't want to die. I don't know about giving in this offering. I don't know about serving in that way. I don't know about my past. I don't know about all of that stuff. My, my past may cause my future usefulness to be gone. But you see, what we need to understand is, think about this. Peter didn't realize when he failed at walking on the water, when he denounced Jesus three times, that God would take all of that mess in his life and begin to cultivate something so that on the day of Pentecost, there was a message that came out of his mouth and 3,000 people were saved. Paul had no idea that all of his past would be used in his future so that many Millions of people could come and celebrate the beauty of Jesus Christ. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Why? Because we're sent. We have an assignment. Verses wherever we're at. 15, I think. But Lord, the Lord said to Ananias, go, everybody say go. This man... It's my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. What? He said, this man is my chosen instrument. Verse 16, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands upon Saul. He said, brother Saul, that's a term of endearment. The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent. Everybody say sent. Has sent me. So that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food he regained his strength. And Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. Hold on a second. Why would the Lord choose Saul as his chosen instrument? I had this thought. Can can I tell you why? If you understand Saul's life, Paul... The Apostle Paul. I believe that God chose Paul because Paul understood his wretchedness. Because Paul understood his wretchedness, he also understood the beauty of grace. And because he understood the beauty of grace, he knew that Paul, even though he would suffer greatly for the cause of Christ, he would continue to stay committed on the things that he could not see. Why? Because faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence not seen. That his faith is built up by hearing, and hearing comes by the word of God. He knew that Paul would continue to take the message so that all of the world could gather together around the center of Jesus Christ and begin to proclaim the gospel so that others will realize that they too have an assignment from God. He takes the most broken person that he can find so that we can all see in our wretchedness that he too can use us. Mm. Had Ananias said, I ain't going. I ain't doing it. You can hang that up. I don't want to die. There's some things that would not have happened. There's a lot of things that would not happen. Lord, have mercy. Let me tell you something. Paul wrote basically half of the New Testament. So had Ananias not been obedient, we would not have Galatians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, 1 and 2 Corinthians, 
the book of Romans, the book of Ephesians, the book of Philemon, the book of Colossians, the book of Philippians, first and second Timothy and Titus. Had Ananias not been obedient, we would not have had that. Not only that, but had Ananias not been obedient, Paul would not have been able to make his missionary journeys. And Paul went to countless cities, cities that, that I'm going to try to give you some of the names, Am, Amphipolis, whatever that is, I've never heard of it, Antioch, Antipatris, Apollonia, Ephesus, Derbe, Damascus, Crete, Iconium, Fairhavens, Reginium, Rome, Spain, Jerusalem, Appian Way, Arabia, Berea, Caesarea, Corinth, Cyprus. Man, I'm, I'm not even gotten out of the seas yet. City after city after city after city after city after city after city. Why? Because he knew that he had an assignment. He had a mission. He had been sent. He was no longer Saul, but now he was Paul. Were it not for Paul, we, we wouldn't have some of the most incredible verses that we live by my God shall supply for all of my needs according to his riches and glory were it not for Paul we would not have his grace is more than enough in my moment of weakness were it not for Paul we would not have if God is for me then tell me who can be against me were it not for Paul we would not have the book of Philippians that says have joy the joy of the Lord is your strength if it were not for Paul we would not have I've been pressed but not crushed, persecuted, not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. Good God Almighty, somebody get on your feet and help me. But watch this. So the name Saul... water break advertising if you don't want to get pregnant don't drink this water where was I going okay praise the Lord drink this water and you get pregnant. Come on, let us know something about that. Tell them. Anyway, I digress. Holy Spirit, come on back. Okay, so grab this. Saul, the name Saul in that culture was one of the greatest names you could have. You know why? Because the very first king of Israel, his name was Saul. It meant great stature. It meant a person of greatness. The name Paul meant small. The name Ananias meant the Lord is gracious. Oh, Lord, put this together. Paul spent the rest of his life talking about how small he was and how lavish the grace of God was. Good God Almighty. His grace is more than enough in my moment of weakness. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Paul understood his wretchedness so he could cry out amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. 